Welcome to Beating the Drum, a podcast about the art and science of customer advocacy. Every company dreams about having customers that will sing their praises. And on this show, we'll explore just how to make that happen. I'm your host, Margot Leong, and for nearly a decade, I've helped create, nurture, and mobilize customer evangelists for B2B and B2C. On this episode, I was joined by Fiona Partlow, Senior Manager, Global Customer Reference Program at Nutanix. She kicked off her career in customer references at Oracle, then built out the EMEA customer marketing programs at VMware and Nutanix. We talk about why flexibility and adaptability are crucial when running a global program, the customer anecdote document she created to help new sales reps, and the creative ways that she's working with customers on videos in the midst of COVID. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Fiona. Hey, Fiona. Thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, well, thank you for inviting me. I'm really excited and I've been, you know, a fan of this podcast for a while. So yeah, really excited to be part of it. Oh, I love hearing that. Thanks, Fiona. I'm, you know, so thrilled to, to have you on. So I uh, would love to start off with a, a bit of an introduction. Mm-hmm. Tell me about your journey to customer advocacy and uh, a little bit about how you ended up in your current role over at Nutanix. I mean, I've been in customer marketing probably for more years than I can remember. So I started at Oracle many moons ago. And when I was at Oracle, I was in a sales role, an internal sales role. And this new sort of marketing role came up. And I think customer referencing was something that was really quite new, but it really looked interesting. So I moved into the customer marketing team and just really loved the whole role and how we're giving something back to the customer. From Oracle, I moved to VMware. So that was basically to run and develop their EMEA customer marketing program. And then a friend of mine started a company called Nutanix, which I'd never heard of. They were quite a small company at the time. And he asked me to join and help with their global reference program because they didn't have anything in place at all. Um, So I've been at Nutanix six years now, which has completely flown. Still really, really loving it here. You've had this experience of building out EMEA customer advocacy, right, at both VMware and Nutanix. And Mm -hmm. I can imagine that those experiences were a bit different. I think (laughs) VMware is probably, at the time that you were there, a much larger company than Nutanix, right? Yeah, definitely. Because I think on the one side, there were a lot of similarities um, because both of them didn't have a program in place. But you're right, there were the differences because of the company size. So yeah, when I joined VMware and Nutanix, there was no official program in place at all. So I think that worked well for me because it was not as if I was going in trying to fix something maybe that wasn't working. I could start from scratch and put processes in place. For me, it was initially looking at what were our key goals of the program that support the overall company strategy? What did we have in place customer evidence-wise? You know, an important part of that was how were you using these references and were they being used officially you know had they had appropriate customer approvals and then you know who are my key stakeholders in those companies you know in finding out what were their wants and needs for the program how could I support them what were the type of customers we were looking for how could we stimulate sales and marketing to providers with customers as well and then I think you know looking this is one of the issues I've found with a number of companies I've worked for is how can we make all the customer evidence easily accessible? 
you know, so to have one central customer repository where a salesperson can go and easily extract information he needs from customers. You know, it's been fun. I've, I grew and expanded both programs. And I, I think the key to doing that is just having flexibility and adaptability, just as, you know, the company grows or looking at the current climate, how do we adapt and be flexible in the type of materials we're producing and how we support the organization. I'm curious about like, what are some of the challenges inherent in owning a MIA customer advocacy? I think there's a number of challenges. I mean, flexibility, I think, is key when you're running a reference program across a region, because something that might work well in one country might not work well at all in another country. You know, there's lots of challenges culturally. You know, we have, for example, our central European region. Customers in that region aren't so keen to endorse and talk about their implementations and go into details about the benefits. So one of the things we've been looking at is do we do a more thought leadership type piece so that the customer's not really delving into the detail but more talking on a wider level and we found that worked you know they're very much process driven so we have to be really clear in writing a detailed approach of what we're asking how we're going to do it when's it going to um, be published I try and do Panamia stories as much as possible um, especially when we're doing ones for bigger companies or it's a new product line but we find some of our southern European countries they don't work they just want customer stories that are specific to that country so there's definitely a number of challenges to take into consideration and it is a lot just listening to your local teams and understanding their needs and requirements and you know adapting the program accordingly because like a general reference program or a general customer marketing program the same program wouldn't work across all the different regions with so many things to, to take care of, what are the ways in which you kind of scale yourself? Yeah, I mean, I, I do rely closely on our internal team. So I work really closely with our field marketing teams. I have monthly one-on-ones with all of them. And we can talk about what stories do we have in progress? What ones have we got completed? And how are we going to amplify those stories? And then we can look at pipeline and make sure, you know, are we focusing on the right stories? I get their support. If it is a local language, story then they will help sometimes with the development of that and then you know sort of the larger stories and Panamia stories I will work on but yeah having that regular monthly one-to-one is really important and then I have quarterly calls with the regional sales leaders that is really important because I provide them with an update of everything that's going on but also it enables me to tell them where I need help and support and so it's a two-way communication so I think it's really important to have that visibility and to be engaged with both marketing and sales when you're running a program and you are just a single person (laughs) trying to do everything. (laughs) You know, I found that sometimes when we've had regions that we're not producing, you know, as many assets as we'd like, then getting that top-down approach really helps. I had one of my regions that we've got a massive pipeline and we've got loads of stories we're working on, but it's a region that has a lot of big name customers, but we're unable to get into any of those customers. So my last one-to-one with the regional sales lead, I spoke to him and all of a sudden I'm having the account managers contacting me and introducing me to the customers and we're building up those bigger name references. So I think that's vital to having a successful program that the sales leaders do completely buy into it. 
how do you balance what you think would be best from a prioritization standpoint, maybe based on sort of the global goals versus if you have sales in different regions saying, hey, like we really want you to do these stories and these stories and you're just one person really. I mean, having the calls helps because then there's a clear commitment at the beginning of the quarter. So I can say, right, I will do five stories for your region. And these are the five stories we're going to do. And then any additional ones, then I need additional support, either from the marketing or sales teams to help with those. I do the quarterly dashboard and show sort of all the material we're producing, because I think a lot of the time you can produce stories, then you'll find the salespeople aren't using them. You know, they're, they're sort of moving on to the next thing. And it's just like, well, how hang on a minute, we've got all these great stories that you haven't shared with your prospects. And so it's making sure that they have visibility of everything that's available to them, because a lot of the time there isn't the need to have a huge amount of references because we've already got material that they can actively use. Talk to me a little bit more about this quarterly dashboard that you mentioned. I mean, it's basically me sort of pulling the figures together on a Mm. quarterly basis. The positive about that, you know, if I've got a region maybe that isn't performing as well one quarter, and I have all the regions and the assets they produce for that quarter, it can encourage a little bit of healthy competitiveness, you know. So uh, one region will look at another region and think, well, how come they've got 20 stories and we've only got 15? And so it really helps with driving the pipeline and increasing the number of customers we have. We do have tools available now for salespeople to access information easily. I was finding a vast majority of my time was spent with sales reference requests. So it would be what customers do we have in this country for financial services? You know, what customers using this product, you know, and it might be information for an RFP or it might be they're going into a meeting and just want to name drop some customers. So we have used tools like Reference Store and Reference Edge in the past. We've got a fantastic internal marketing operations team. So they now have produced a dashboard within Salesforce so account managers can easily get that information and then for the bigger requests for actually talking to customers we can help them with that but for general just gathering information maybe to have a first meeting with a prospect they easily can get that information themselves they're not having to access a separate tool because they're using Salesforce on a day-to-day basis anyway so it's integrated within the system so it's easy for them to use. One of the uh, initiatives that we started last year, we just initially started it for our Western European team. And due to the company growing so fast, we have a number of new salespeople that join. And one of the requests I was getting more and more from them was they wanted to be able to go into prospects and come out with anecdotes of customers that were doing similar things and using our technology. So I worked with the local team and I produced an internal document that literally has about 40 or 50 customer anecdotes. So it says a little bit about what the challenge was, you know, what the solution is and the benefits. We laminated them and we sent them electronically. And it was something that salespeople could either have in their laptop bag or just have on their phone or on their laptop. And before they went into a prospect, they could read through. It was organized by industry and by solution. And they could pick a couple of anecdotes. So when they went to that customer, they could name drop some customers customers and talk about what they were doing and it's been really well received we update it quarterly and now we've started to roll it out in the other regions so we've just done one for our southern european team and then we're just working on one now for our northern european team as well 
actually that's something that I think about quite a bit, which is uh, a lot of what we do is the content generation, but there's a big difference between that and making sure that there are stories that stick in a salesperson's mind that they can use (laughs) when they go into that pitch meeting with the customer. Because I think from an emotional storytelling standpoint, it's just so effective. And so this sounds like a really good opportunity for them to brush up on some of these things before they go in, right? And I think too, you know, when you've got new salespeople coming in, you know, they don't have that historical knowledge of past deals that have closed. So it's it's a godsend for them because they can easily refer to it and they've got some great stories to tell when they go in for those meetings. Yeah, absolutely. And just to dig into that a little bit more. So you said it's an internal document with about 40 to 50 customer anecdotes. And, you know, now it's become so successful that you're starting to break them out by regions, which is great. What do those customer anecdotes look like? How, you know, short are they? So we have the challenge, solution and benefits, but they're literally two to three sentences per sections, sometimes slightly less, sometimes slightly more, but we wanted to make it bite-sized, you know, so that they can just quickly read it, absorb it, and then relay it, basically. As someone who's sort of tried stuff like this in the past, there's so much that you could potentially include in two or three sentences. What do you make sure is like critical to have within that bite, basically? I mean, we look at, you know, the biggest pain point our customers are feeling. So we, you know, we make sure they're all all in line with our company objectives for a start. We will include ones where we've beaten certain competitors or they're just using some of our newer technology, which we don't have a lot of case studies for, but we will have a few customers that they can talk about that are using our newer technology. So we basically just pick the key areas where we feel the salespeople will need them the most. So it sounds like you're framing each of the customer bites, mm-hmm. you know, maybe a little bit differently depending on what the needs are. So mm-hmm. this is always something that I struggled with is we have oftentimes these stats, these great benefits. I, I always struggled with, okay, should it be consistent in the sense of here's a little bit about the customer and then the customer was able to achieve 95% reduction in backup time or this percentage reduction in that, or do you list out specific results like that or do you keep it more high level from a benefit standpoint if we can quantify in any way then we always will because i just think it's always great you know people always want to quote numbers especially with savings and things like that that's across the board in our written stories and everything the process is, you know, our, our work with, say, the regional directors, and I'll speak to them about the key deals that have closed within your sector. And then we work on the best stories to include in that document. I am always fascinated by the life cycle of getting something like this into the hands of internal teams. Let's talk about that first time that you decided you're like, okay, we put this together for the sales team. Now, how do we let them know that this exists and try to drive them to use it? The sales lead for Western Europe was the one that actually sent it out because Mm, that's smart. they're they're probably more likely to read an email from him rather than me. (laughs) So yeah, so we got him to send that out. And the good thing was he was a great storyteller when he used to go and see customers and he loved anecdotes. So he was really pleased with the document and he really 
really encourage the guys to use it. I mean, that's a, that must be such a great feeling to see that something that you're creating is really being utilized by the sales team. And it sounds like you're getting some great feedback in terms of this being useful for not only existing, you know, salespeople that have been there for a while, but also new salespeople. Exactly. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's more specific for the new salespeople who had no sort of knowledge of a lot of the deals that had closed and just be able to sort of quote a couple of little anecdotes of customers, maybe in a similar industry or with a similar issue, then the feedback's been fantastic. You also mentioned, right, that there's definitely an importance to not just continuing to pump out stories, but also analyzing whether or not these are useful from a prospect perspective, from an internal perspective, right? And so talk yeah. to me a little bit about that piece. What does success look like outside of generating stories? You know, we generate a lot of material. It could be case studies or videos or whatever, but it's taking a step back and how many hits are we getting on that? Are we doing enough through social media? Would social media work with that? Could we integrate it into a marketing campaign? You know, and sometimes we've used customers in marketing campaigns and they haven't been as successful as using other customers. So I think it's really important. And when I have these monthly one-on-ones with my marketing teams is a process of analyzing sort of did that work successfully? Is this something we could roll out to another region? And we generate reports, our social media team generates reports and our web team. And so we can look at what assets work and we look at whether we can maybe do some more sound bites around that customer and use those. And if there's certain assets that aren't working, do we retire them or do we look to do something completely different? With customer marketing, with content generators, a lot of the time, um, and sometimes we don't have the time to step back and, you know, sort of look at how are we doing this and is this working and can we adapt it to be more successful? So I really think that's key to a successful program, definitely. And it's definitely something we do at a regional level as well. We do um, quite a lot of customer experience programs. So what we will do at events, we will highlight customers and we'll maybe tell a story of a day in the life of somebody and we use our customers' brands through that. That's worked better in some regions than other regions. And sometimes that's quite nice, actually, because we can engage customers that aren't able to endorse, but we're able to position them as a customer. Yeah, I love that. It's basically using the idea of we're telling the story of the day in the life of a customer. And of course, because Mm -hmm. we're telling that, you know, obviously they are a customer, but they don't have to actually say we endorse this company specifically, right? So it's implied because you are by virtue featuring them. (laughs) Trek bikes is a customer of us. So somebody was going to work in the morning on their Trek bike and it was squeaking. So they used some WD-40, which was another customer. So we weren't actually... (laughs) telling their story but we were able to integrate all these brands and it's amazing because I've even been at events where they've had a whole board where we've got the products and we're telling the story Um, and I've had actual customers with me and they're like oh why aren't we on this board and I'm like well I remember that next time (laughs) (laughs) yeah I love that Uh, it's actually sometimes surprising when you have some evidence there and then you meet other customers at conferences say and they they see that and they're like hey you know what 
why didn't you ask us? And you're like, I didn't even know you'd be interested, you know, or, you know, it's (laughs) it's just funny how that, that comes about. You mentioned working with some of these great brands. Is there anything that you do around like reporting back to them? Yeah. I mean, definitely we've done that more on the video side. I mean, times have changed, but when we used to do the on-site videos, we do a lot of footage and then we'd work with their communications team because they'd see this professional crew there and they'd want something, maybe we'd adapt the video for internal use for them, or it could be something that'd be going on to their webpage to showcase, you know, their offices or something like that. And we're happy to support that, you know, if they're supporting us with a customer video and we can give sort of the footage so they have b-roll footage and I think also on an individual level I've worked with customers before that have participated in things like videos and then I've worked with them to use some of the sound bites for PR purposes so it's usually our best advocates that are always looking for other jobs you know I've, I've helped them you know with some material we've had existing that's enabled them to use that for PR purposes when looking for a, a new role within another company. Yeah, absolutely. And sometimes I've seen it where it's so effective that, you know, the the advocate ends up joining your company. We had one recently and he was such a good advocate for me. So when I saw him, I was like, I'm really happy for you. But then again, I'm not happy for you because I've lost (laughs) you referenced but yeah yeah it happens far too many times Uh, it just means that we're doing a good job of you know showcasing how great (laughs) we are internally right so yeah (laughs) another question that you know I wanted to spend a little bit of time on is we sort of talked about how to balance requests within region around what stories to go after when you think about choosing which stories to tell right? You also have that added criteria around what regions you want to consider. So how do you Mm -hmm. decide which regions to go after? And how does that sort of play into prioritization? I mean, I think in terms of the customers that we pursue, you know, we have, you know, really clear company guidelines on, you know, what our objectives are, what our key product areas are, what our key industries are. From a country standpoint to, you know, I'm provided a list of these are the countries where most investment's going to go into, and these are the ones that we need to focus on. So I have all that information that I'm given on a quarterly basis. So then I can decide, right, I have this much budget, I need to divide it between these regions. And these are going to be the priority countries that I focus on. And then there will always be a need for maybe some of the countries that I'm unable to focus on, we might need to sort of promote some stories or or do some work, then that's why I work closely with the field marketers, and they could provide additional budget if they did need to focus on a country that I'm not focusing on. It's interesting because, you know, I can imagine too that having a company where you have those very clear goals from a global investment perspective, that it just makes it a lot easier for you to sort of go back and like gently push back on stakeholder requests to say, hey, like this is how it's been laid out, right? This is how much budget I have. Ultimately, I'm just trying to move the needle for the business. And it probably makes it a lot easier to be able to say, you know, this is why I'm doing what I'm doing. Yeah. And I often, well, I, I regularly too, I present on a lot of the sales calls, you know, so I will go through, you know, what makes a good story? What are the type of stories we're looking for? Just so that the salespeople understand, you know, sort of what type of customers they should be putting through to us. So they know what our key product focus is, they know what our key industry focus is and everything else. 
is there a, a way that you structure the meetings that is different based off of whether it's sales, for example, the marketing team or, or other stakeholders? Yeah, I, th- I think working with the marketing team, I almost see them as an extended part of my team, you know, mm. especially when we're looking to produce collateral or we're looking for customer speakers for events they're running, or maybe a certain customer to include in a, a marketing campaign. Whereas sales, I think there's definitely a different approach because it's what you can provide them with, <laughs> really. And so subtly making sure that they're going in the right direction and they're providing you with the right information you need. I think that's definitely a difference. A big theme that has come out of this conversation is if you have local teams, just really rely on them because those are probably going to be the people that they have the most experience and expertise in that country and they can steer you in in that right direction. Exactly. And I think, you know, sort of working with my marketing teams, you know, they're also, they're on the ground, they're sort of speaking to the salespeople regularly. So if I'm not getting responses from certain salespeople about something, I can lean on them and say, look, if so-and-so is not responding, is there anything you can help with? They will support me with that. So it's good having that sort of ally on the ground. (laughs) So my last question for you is what's happening, right? With the new Mm -hmm. normal, with COVID-19. I'm just curious if you have found anything that has changed in terms of how you're engaging with customers or the, the stories that you are pursuing. Definitely. You know, historically, we used to produce a lot of customer on-site videos, which of course we can't do now because no traveling and lockdown. And so videos we've always found are more popular than the written case studies and the number of hits we get and things like that. So we've started to try and look at different ways that we can tell a story. So we've started to do these stop motion videos. So basically we're extracting key points from a written case study and then And we're doing the video with graphics, usually lasts about a minute or a minute and a half, but we're finding they work really well on social media. And then also we had a a massive transformation in the terms of digital events, which I know everyone's having to do at the moment. We had a massive dot next event in September and, you know, customer speakers we always have for our breakout sessions. So this time we had to look at doing things differently. So we did it via Zoom. We sent a video kit to our customers. So they had lighting, they had a really nice microphone and they had a green screen, which they were able to keep. We'd have someone from our product team that would go through everything with them and help them with the whole setup and then they'd have a rehearsal and then we'd do the actual video shoot but we'd make sure they were completely comfortable with everything and the good thing was because we were then able to edit the footage afterwards there wasn't too much pressure on them to get everything right first time and it was great because the customers were like oh wow this is brilliant you know I've got all this equipment now which I never thought I'd have so it was a nice thank you for taking the time to do that for us it was very very similar to a breakout session, but rather than doing it live, we pre-recorded it. When you looked at the customer sessions, there would be somebody from Nutanix and then the customer. Some of them were Q&A sessions or some of them it might be a customer showing something on a screen and doing more of a presentation. It was totally up to them what their preferred format was. I mean, it was a huge learning curve for all of us, but it worked really well and we found the customer sessions were really well received. And then we've been able to repurpose that content and put into short videos. So I think we're probably going to see a lot of creativity over the next few months because we have to change for the new normal and have to look at new and more interesting ways of getting the stories out there. 
Uh, I love that you sent video kits to your customer speakers. I completely agree is that when we're more limited from a creative standpoint, we actually can generate things that we would have never thought about before. And so last question for you, Fiona, is if our listeners would like to connect with you, what's the, the best place they can find you? So I'm on LinkedIn as Fiona Partlow. I'm also on Twitter. My Twitter handle is FJPartlow. Thank you so much for coming on and joining us today, Fiona. I'm happy to help. And it's been really good. I mean, it's nice to sort of chat about what you do. You don't really realize how much you do, do you, until you actually start talking about it. And they're like, oh, wow. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And I think everyone has so much wisdom to share that they've accumulated um, about this field. So, you know, I think it's such a pleasure for me to be able to do this. Thanks for tuning into this episode of Beating the Drum. For more interviews with advocacy leaders and tips on creating customers that will sing your praises, head on over to our website, beatingthedrum.com. If you enjoyed today's show, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, and don't forget to rate and review us. If you know someone that would be a great fit for the show, I would love to hear about it. You can reach out at beatingthedrum.com. Take care, everybody.